congregation. We pray that these words, too, might uh, bring about rejoicing in heaven itself. We turn in God's word tonight to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Tonight we'll be dealing particularly with verses 8 and 9, 10, 8, 9, and 10, excuse me, are the three verses that we'll be considering this evening. If the Lord tarries, we'll deal with 12 through the rest next Lord's Day evening. Sometimes when you come to passages and you say things like that, you say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, okay? Um, And yet, uh, this too is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to go back to verse 1 of chapter 2, and then we'll read through this evening verse 10. This too is the breathed out word of the Lord to us. First of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. But but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we once again uh, come to you in this evening hour. We ask, Lord, that you'll give us uh, listening ears and a willing heart to listen to your word. We bless Pastor Bob and the message that he gives us, and we may um, have willing hearts to uh, do your will and uh, what you would have us uh, to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. This evening, again, two points. First of all, the context. And secondly, the concern that Paul is expressing by way of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the context. Secondly, the concern. And I think it's very important as we deal with this particular section of 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we put this in context. Too often, we know that there are folks around us who rip text out of their context, therefore giving the passage a whole new meaning than what was intended. And because we know that happens, and because we know there is a tendency for that to take place, we of all people, as conservative reform folks, ought to desire that a text 
be preached in the context in which it is given. And so, yes, some of this is repetitive, but not everybody has heard all the messages through 1 Timothy. Some of you are visitors and guests and haven't had the, the privilege of having it set in con- context. But even for us who have been through this whole series so far, it's important that we, that we understand how these words are coming to us from the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul. What is the situation out of which these words come? So first of all, let's put it in context. We are in a letter that is written to Timothy. That's the broadest context we can probably make of this, right? It's a letter written to Timothy. Who's Timothy? He is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is the center of the worship. In the Greek, it's Artemis. For the Romans, it was Diana. It's a huge, huge complex that is devoted to her worship. And because it is what we would say a megatropolis for the day and the center of this worship, it brought in all sorts of commerce. It brought in all sorts of trade. There is all sorts of travel going through here. People are coming to the, to the temple of Diana to worship there. Some for good, some for bad. By the good, I mean they're at least going there to worship Diana and not for other reasons. It isn't good that they're there to worship by Diana. But some have immoral reasons behind all of this. This is the city. And in that city, there is a church. The church at Ephesus, and from what we read in in the book of of Acts, it would seem like it's a church that's not very big. It's meeting in a house. And here are this group of believers who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light are living in the context of this great city of Ephesus with all of this pagan idolatry taking place in all of the the huge buildings that are dedicated towards her worship. And here are the people who are worshiping the Lord, the Savior, the Christ, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and they're in a little house. Things just don't seem to be in the right setting. And yet this is the way that God works. This was God's working within that great city. Now if we go back to the book of Ephesus, we're going to find out that this little group of people are going to cause the whole city to be in a stir and an uproar and cause a riot. Well, they're not going to, but they're going to be the ones who are going to be blamed for all that's going on. And if that were not enough, there are false teachers that have already arisen in this church at Ephesus. We're not, we we don't know precisely what it is, but it seems to be sort of uh, an antinomian type character of these folks. Uh, Just as you read through chapter 1, that they're using God's grace as a license 
for immorality, perhaps because the culture is too much with them. And uh, they haven't truly separated themselves as God's holy people from the culture around them. So, that's the context. It's a letter to Timothy. In this letter, Paul calls Timothy to engage now in the context in which he is serving at this church at Ephesus to engage in the good warfare. And Paul has going through great lengths to explain to us what the good warfare looks like. How do you engage this city of Ephesus? How do you engage that culture? How do you engage the principalities and the powers of this present world? How do you go to war against them? Paul is laying that out. Some of you might say, well, can't we get to it? We are getting to it. The problem in our society is we want to set aside God's order for our own. And God's order is a message to men about humility first. The first thing he comes with. You want to fight the good warfare? You need to learn a lesson on humility. Where do we learn the lesson on humility? I encourage men everywhere. No. No, I, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. One of our members mentioned after I had preached the sermon a couple of weeks ago about lifting holy hands in prayer, one of the things that this does is it actually leaves you defenseless. You cannot defend yourself with your hands uplifted. See, in the context in which Paul is talking, he's talking about warfare. Who in the world would fight war like this? This looks like surrender. It is to the Lord. It's, a, it's an act in which you realize that you don't know it all and you need to turn to the Lord. It's a reminder you can't accomplish anything without the Lord. That this is not my battle. This is not your battle. This is not Little Farm's battle or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's battle or the Reformed Faith's battle. This is Christ's battle. And we submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hardest thing for us as men to do. Even when we don't know how to fix a car, we know how to fix a car. Even when we don't know where we're driving, we know where we're driving. We always know the answer. How hard it is for us to turn to the Lord God and say, we're coming to you. But you see, the other thing is when you have your hands like this, you can't have your hands like this. Notice, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. There is a humility to which we are called as men. You want to engage in the good warfare? You need to be humble. Humble. 
And now Paul brings a message to women. And you go, oh, here we go. No, no, at this point, I got to correct you. I got to correct you. And if you were a woman who were saying, oh, I know what's coming. Oh, yeah, okay, let us have it. You're missing something. And what you're missing is, first of all, that God, through the Holy Spirit, believes that you are worthy to be addressed. You understand that was not the way culture was? You understand this was not the Jewish way? Do you understand what Christ does in uplifting you as a woman? You're not second class. You're not below. You're not beneath. Male and female, he created them in his image. Male and female, he said, go therefore into the earth. Male and female. That had long been forgotten. That had been swept under the rug. Christianity, God, is coming again and saying, no, no, no. Christ came to restore the image of God in men and in women. So it's a glorious thing that he now addresses you. It is a blessing that he addresses you. In fact, when we get done with this, I hope you're overwhelmed by what Christ, through the word, is saying to you as a woman. I've addressed men as my image bearers and as my warriors. Now I'm addressing you women as my image bearers and as my warriors. What, we get addressed? Yeah, yeah. Never would have happened at that Jewish temple. But in Christ, you see, in Christ, there is the recognition of who you are. The fact that we we started a couple of weeks ago with the recognition that God created genders. And to those genders, God gave specific responsibilities and roles. It's not some sort of, oh, that's horrible. No, it's uplifting. God is raising up. So here's the message to women. Point two, the concern. And here's where we need to start, verse 9. Now listen to what he said, right? I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. What do we say that's about? That's about humility. Likewise also. What does likewise also mean there? What is likewise also? You've you've addressed these men about prayer. How, How are we likewise also? 
Because remember, okay, that verse 8 is about the manner of corporate worship. God is saying that those who lead should be men who lift up holy hands in prayer without quarreling and arguing. Men should be humble as they come into my presence to worship me. Likewise also. But here's the beauty of it. You get invited in, women. You get included in. You don't have to sit outside. You don't have to sit in a separate court and only the men get to go in. Do you see what's happening here? This likewise also is a tremendous statement. It's not like, oh yeah, yeah, the men get to come in the sanctuary. Ladies, you stay in the narthex back there. Likewise also, in the matter of corporate worship, Paul sees men and women and children together in the worship of God. You see that as he addresses the church in Corinth. That inclusion of women into the worship. See, there is something radical going on here. There is a change that is taking place. And it's a change not of putting the thumb on women. It's the change of lifting them up. Come on in. Join us in this glorious, glorious thing that we call the worship of our God. You too. This is what the New Testament is drawing us into. Likewise also. But the other meaning then of that likewise also. Just as in verse 8. There needs to be a lesson on humility. Likewise also. Women. You need a lesson on humility too. You need a lesson. It's different than the lesson men need. Men have this thing with argumentation and anger. And the lack of willingness to surrender. Women have their own issue. In regards to humility. And it's in appearance. It's in how you present yourself. Notice where Paul goes. Likewise also. Likewise also. In other words, as you come into corporate worship, you need to be humble. How is that humility to be displayed amongst you as women? Amongst men, we know what it is. Lift up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Surrender to the Lord God. What, what, what do you women have to do in humility? Likewise also. That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. With modesty and self-control. What's he saying? What he's saying is that there is a temptation, just like there is a temptation for men 
to be that know-it-all, to be the one who has all the answers, to be the one who's going to fight and argue and question everything. There is a tendency amongst women to show pride, to show arrogance, to show superiority by what they wear, by their appearance. And Paul is saying, no, you need to humble yourself. You need to come into God's presence with respectable apparel, with a degree of modesty, with self-control. Those are the three main words. See, you gotta, you got to separate out here. Don't make the minor the major. The major are these three words. Every woman is required when they enter into corporate worship to enter in in the appearance of respectable apparel, modesty, and self-control. In that, how they choose to present themselves to others in worship. That's the main. Now Paul adds, you want some examples of that? Some examples of that would be not with braided hair, meaning corresponding to the respectable apparel. And you say, well, why does that follow with, with the respectable apparel? Because in Paul's day, in that culture, particularly of Ephesus, the piling on of hair with braids and braids and braids that would be wound and wound into very extravagant hairdos was a sign of wealth. Because you had to have enough servants to put your hair all like that because you can't do it yourself. So if you can afford to have that many servants just doing your hair... Think of how extravagant your life must be. It was to show forth, look, I'm wealthy. I'm rich. That's why I can afford to have my hair done up like this. It was a snide slap in the face to the other members of the Ephesus church, the other women who couldn't afford to do that sort of thing. So Paul says, don't come in here that way. Don't come in here with your, your braided hair that shows forth some sort of superiority. Humble yourself. But he also uses the term respectable because there was another class of women who braided their hair. Those who pretended to be something they weren't. The prostitutes of Ephesus. A number of years ago when Sandy and I were there, we walked the streets of Ephesus, the old ruins. There's signs. There's road signs. Pointed you to the direction of where you could find the prostitutes. They believed that a lot of that was for the seafaring men who would come in on commercial vessels and they wouldn't want to ask, where do I find the prostitute? All they had to do is follow the sign. And a lot of the depictions that go along with it are of women with braided hair. 
Paul says, is that really the way you want to show up to worship? Humble yourself. Come with respectable apparel. Notice the choral element. Respectable apparel goes with braided hair. Modesty goes with gold or pearls. They used to weave in pieces of gold or pearls into their hair so that as they would walk, they would glisten. Their hair would shimmer. Which is, a, which is just kind of an interesting thing because in the city of Ephesus, they had polished stones on the roadway. Okay? And those polished stones were so polished that when the moon shone at night, it lit the city out of the reflection. See, that calls attention to self. Paul says, no, no, that's not what corporate worship is, is about. It's not about calling attention to you. It's not about going, ooh, look at how she has her hair today. Oh, look at that pin in her hair. Oh, look at that jewelry. Oh, oh, wow. Because if it's all about you, then who isn't it about? The Lord. You know, I'll be going, oh, he's just picking on. No, he picked on men too. He knows us. We have our own issues. But he's saying... This is an area, women, of great humility that you need to to keep in mind. And then notice the self-control corresponds to the costly attire, the outlandish, the extravagant, the -the over-the-top apparel That, that isn't necessary. For someone who is coming into the presence of the king of kings. Are you trying to outdo him? Right? Is, is your apparel trying, trying to be better than that which the Lord our God has as the king? Remember that passage in Isaiah whose, whose train fills the temple? See, this is what Paul is, is telling the women of Ephesus. Caught up in the culture of that day. a call to humility instead he says but let what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works adorn themselves so you got to follow the entire line verse 9 adorn themselves not with these things but with good works That should be the clothing of the Christian woman of God. Of letting how you live for God's glory stand out. Letting how you serve stand out. Letting how you care stand out. Let your beauty be those good works. I'm going to do something really dangerous. Mark, first time elder, is sitting there. What is he going to do? Okay, my first Sunday now. Okay, I'm going to do something really dangerous. Actually, it isn't. 
I want you to think for a moment of the grandmothers in this congregation. You know what's beautiful? They are. They don't come here to worship. In gaudy apparel. They're not in modest. They have costly attire. But I have never met more beautiful women in my life. Because their godliness, their good works, create a beauty that no physical appearance could ever match. I think of those grandmothers of our congregation and I go, (laughs) Paul, you should have been here because it's not the church at Ephesus. Oh, it's still necessary for us to deal with. But you women set such a godly, godly example of what this passage is all about. You know what's the next most beautiful thing? It's the fact that it is already trickling down to the next generation and to the next. In some ways, this is not a sermon that ever needed to be preached at Little Farms because it's already done. This is the way in which you live. That inner beauty of your godliness has made you the most physically beautiful women in the world. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? So the final point is simply this. Men, stop judging then on those outward appearances. Half the reason women go that direction is because they see you looking. And they think that's the only way they can get a man's attention. Stop it, men. Stop making that the qualifier. Stop making those outward appearances the thing by which you judge the character of a woman's life. It's not just unfair. It is ungodly. And it's not just ungodly. It's heathen. Because that's what the heathens do. Remember the day 
that Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he's going to anoint one of Jesse's sons that day to be the next king of Israel. And one of Jesse's sons comes forward and, and Samuel thinks, this got to be the guy. This has got to be the guy. Man, he's tall, he's good looking, muscular. This has got to be the guy. And God says, no, Samuel, it's not the guy. Because the Lord does not look at outward appearances. The Lord looks at the heart. Young men, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to listen and I want you to listen well. Many of us, God in his grace brought us into our lives a woman of godly character. Good works of godliness. And he has blessed us because those qualities show forth a beauty, a physical beauty. That no magazine, no cosmetic magazine could ever match. And I thought of, I, Bob, you got to be careful here because you don't want to give the impression that there's a bunch of ugly women at Little Farms, but they have good hearts. Okay? That's the last thing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to actually say the opposite. I'm trying to say that in God's economy, in God's way of doing things, that godliness of character brings about a beauty that you can't match by anything in this world. So stop making that the judgment. Don't let your wife catch you looking at that finely dressed, co-feared woman. Don't let your wife do that, man. That's heathen. That's heathen. If women are to follow this text that the Lord is giving, then men better be willing to accept the text. So I have three suggestions for myself and for you. One, prize her for who she is, not what you want her to be. Praise her for what she does and promote her around others. My guess is, it's not really a guess, it's not even a hunch. There would be a lot less contention about 1 Timothy 2 if there were men who would praise, prize, and promote their godly wives. Because that's God's way. This is God's way. Don't take the way of the world. Oh, there's more to say to you, ladies, isn't there? Yeah, there's more. There's more verses. But let's each of us, men and women, take this home. 
This is the word of God. How do we fight this good warfare? By being humbled before the Lord our God and the King of Kings and surrendering to his rule, to his reign, to his wisdom, to his discernment in how we pray and the clothes we wear. For his glory and for his honor. And God's people say, Amen.